How many of you can wave at me if you have been out loving your neighbor in a tangible way? How many of you have gone out of your way in the last several weeks to meet somebody that's around you? All right, wave at me. I want to see. All right, good. I have been provoking you to, to a summer of love. Now, we're getting ready to end the series next week. We got something up our sleeves that's going to be exciting. I want you all to be here. Um, but here's the deal. We have, we have been trying to provoke us to fulfill the great commandment, which is to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, and being very intentional about that. And so while uh, we jump in today, I want to talk to you about the, the motive and the movement behind loving our neighbors. And I want you to open up to another passage of Scripture. It's found in Matthew chapter 22, verse, starting in verse 37. It's the great commandment, um, Matthew's version. And I want to read that together. It says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then secondly, he says, this commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we've been highlighting something that's, that's part of the genius of Jesus. We said Jesus was smarter brighter than any human being that's ever lived, obviously because he is God in a bod, all right? Jesus is brilliant, and when Jesus takes all of the commandments, of the law and the prophets, and boils them down into one commandment, I mean, you know, that's genius. When you take complexity and you simplify something, that's a sign of genius. Jesus is a genius, and here's what Jesus said, and this is where we were last week. I was challenging you all with this amazing thought that, you know, the, before Jesus ascended, he gave us something called the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of, of all nations, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and how many of you know reaching the world for Jesus sounds really great, it inspires us, but it's a little bit overwhelming. Uh, if I told you today, hey, here's your assignment, Tony, this week, go reach the world for Jesus, you'd probably look at me like, what? Um, because how many of you know that's beyond any one of us to do? But what if I said this? What if we changed the Great Commission slightly? Uh, not to mess with scripture, but I'm changing it for the purpose of illustration. What if the great commandment was something like this? I want you to go, church, and love your neighbors, your actual neighbor, the person right next to you, across the street from you, behind you. I want you to love your neighbor this week in my name. What if we all took that really seriously? What if wherever Christians are planted all across the globe, if we just love the people who are right next door to us, the people that we went out to the mailbox and waved at them, or people that we saw with the stick figures on the back of their van pulling into their driveway before the garage door opens and closes and they are out of our sight. What if we really made a point of loving those neighbors? And I was encouraging you too, this, this message was about action. You know, when you remember the story with the, the, the attorney that was trying to catch Jesus, you know, they have this discussion and Jesus, the, the attorney gives the right answer and Jesus says, right. And then he says, go do it. And how many of you know the go do it part is always the part that messes with us? Because attorneys are used to passing exams and studying a lot, and they're good with books, and they're good with words. And so this guy thought, yeah, yeah, yeah pass the test. But Jesus didn't leave it there. He didn't say, right, here's your ribbon. He said, right, go and do it. And how many of you know that's where we get into the challenge? The challenge is always in living the gospel, not merely believing it or having a mental assent to the gospel, but putting feet to the gospel. And so I'm just encouraging, I'm setting you up, obviously summer's not here yet, June 21st, official date of summer, right? But here's the purpose of this Summer of Love series, is to get us in a mindset 
that as we're going to our open houses and graduations and all the other things, the cookouts, all the things that are part of summer, our Fourth of July celebrations, uh, that in the midst of that, when you're cutting your yard or you're working in the in the yard planting flowers or whatever you do, um, make sure that our focus is very intentional about reaching the people around us and building relationship with them. Now, you know, I shared with you before one of the things my dad taught me uh, and mom taught me was they were very intentional about where they shop, where they get gasoline, where they bank. And the goal is you go to those places, but when you see that person that's a teller every week, you just don't do your business. You actually strike up conversation. How many of you do that? You talk to people. My dad was, was great at developing small talk with people. He was always busting people's jobs. And before you know it, people would start talking to him and sharing about what's going on in their family. And here he is just getting gas for the car. And the next thing you know, this lady's pouring her heart out. Uh, and, and he's praying with her many times right there at the gas station or something like that. And my dad taught me from experience that if we just have an attitude of loving our neighbor, an attitude of getting to know people and truly caring for people, it's amazing how they will begin to, to share back, reciprocate, and before you know it, you're right in the middle of their world as they're sharing stuff that's going on. So we went to our bank this week. I told you, I love going to my bank. I know all the folks in there. Um, I'm like a rock star at the bank. I mean, it's great. <laughs> And uh, I go in there, I talk to everybody, and, and in fact, many times instead of driving through, we'll intentionally go in to do our business just so we can uh, build relationship with folks. So this particular day, we did not go in, we were th- through the drive through but there's a wonderful lady at our bank, and she got, we got done with the transaction, and she's talking through us, you know, through that window deal, and hitting the buttons, and we're talking back and forth, and she says, I just have to ask you a question. Are you the pastor at that church over there at Pratt and Summit Streets and Crown Point? As a matter of fact, we are, you know. And, uh, and she said, do you live in that house? And she starts describing my house. She says, I live right across the field from you. In fact, she lives in this beige house over here with no fences around the house. She's literally right across the field from me. And I met a new neighbor just in the process of banking, all right? I thought that was pretty cool. So Marion and I already, our minds are already thinking, what are we going to do to do a kamikaze drive-by shooting of love to where we could bring this lady some flowers or show up at her doorstep? Hi, here we are, your new neighbor. No, I'm kidding. Um, that's what, That might freak people out. But anyway, we're we're going to certainly look for her when she's out in the yard, and we're going to trek across the church property here and we're going to go love on her, all right? Because we're, it's just as simple as loving the people around you. And when they're in a crisis or they have a need or you have a need, isn't it great that you've made relationships with those people? So I had a number of folks this week send me text messages, emails, sharing some reports. Now, I'll just say some of them were good. Some of them were not good. How many of you know when you venture out of your house to meet a neighbor... You're hoping that that neighbor is a nice person. But neighbors aren't always nice people. Um, And sometimes maybe you're thinking, I know, Pastor. Let me tell you about my neighborhood, all right? Sometimes neighbors aren't always nice. And uh, But guess what Jesus commands us to do? In fact, you know, when you're filling out your chart, which I gave you a couple of weeks, you can pick these up at either one of our welcome areas. We encourage you to find where your house is and specifically 
learn your neighbors by name. Fill in the blank so that you can show that you know their names, you know something relevant about them, and then you know something maybe deeper. You know, what are their dreams? What are their challenges? What are their hopes, etc.? And so some of you might be going, oh, that neighbor over there, X, we're not going to that neighbor's house. They are not going to be part of our outreach this summer. Big old X, you act like they don't even exist. Well, guess what? That's the neighbor I guarantee you, Jesus is wanting you to begin to love. I'm going to say that again. That's the neighbor... You know, it's funny, we, we have a neighbor in the area like that, and Marion and I were like, okay, who's the last little blank right here? And we decided it was going to be Pastor Dick and Susie, because we already know them and we like them. No, I'm kidding you, that would be a failure of the exam, all right? We're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to go after all the neighbors. I, I talked to one couple this week, and it's a family with a bunch of beautiful children, and they are next to a neighbor who hates kids. How many of you know that's a challenge? Like when the kids step foot on the neighbor's property. That would not be good. In fact, my kids would all be dead or somebody would be, there'd be a casualty because we were constantly, I mean, you know, if you play sports, there's balls flying everywhere. Golf balls, I told you, flying over my house, hitting cars. I mean, we had all kinds of stuff. If I was next to a neighbor who hated kids, We would need Jesus to definitely come and help us uh, love that neighbor and change the situation. So I won't point out any names, but this these folks who are here right now intentionally went out of their way to love this neighbor and to get to know her and to say, found out there was a need, found out actually there's a lot of family needs, which is probably why she's not so happy. Had another couple, I will not mention any names, but when they went and tried to minister to their neighbor, what became readily apparent was that this person needs deliverance. This person has some serious sexual perversion issues and needs to get set free. Um, that's not kind of the first introduction you want to have to your neighbor, is that they uh, need to be set free from sexual perversion. But guess what? Here was the radical thought. Jesus has put you in your neighborhood for such a time as this. In fact, let me just mess with you a little bit. You know, the, 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 uh, the religious leader, the lawyer, the Pharisee, the expert in the law, you remember when Jesus said, go do it, you remember his response. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Because he was already, he, he wanted to define on his terms who he chose to love. But can I just share something with you? There's three primary neighbors in our lives, and we don't get to choose any of them. The first neighbor that you don't get to choose is the neighbor that lives in the address next to you. Now, you might have gone around and checked out the neighborhood before you bought that house, but as soon as you did, one of those neighbors moved, and somebody else moved in. And guess what? They didn't ask you for permission. Isn't that the truth? So you thought you were moving into the perfect neighborhood, and then you realized there's imperfect people in your neighborhood, and you didn't get to choose them. I like what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, we make our friends... We make our enemies, but God makes our next-door neighbor. All right? Isn't that the truth? We don't really have any pick. And, you know, I I crack up because you see these folks doing benefit concerts or whatever. We're going to love the world. Come together. Buy this ticket, and I'm going to sing you songs about loving the world. Let's love the world. What a bunch of crock. 
Loving the world means you go to the person next to you who has a face and you get to know them and you figure out how you can serve them and how you can love them. You don't stand with your flashlight or lighter out at a concert singing about the love, you know, this broad idea about love. That's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's some hypothetical, uh, idealized, romantic version of loving the world that doesn't really exist. It makes us feel good, but it doesn't really exist. It's not a biblical kind of love that Pastor Dick was reading there from 1 Corinthians 13. Let me tell you another neighbor that you don't get to pick. You don't get to pick your family. (laughs) Isn't that a riot? Now, I'm not going to ask you how many of you would move into a new neighborhood right now if you could choose a different family. But we laugh about that, but it's not so funny, is it? Because it's actually painful. That's why the holidays are hard for a lot of people. Because guess what? You get together with Uncle Louie and, and, you know, sister, whatever, and, and all the family dysfunction gathers in one place and you celebrate. And usually somebody's, you know, trying to kill somebody else before the holiday's over because it's a, it's a time of tension and strife. Some of you are dealing with folks in your family. Maybe you're coming out of substance abuse, addictions, things like that. Um, sometimes you're dealing with folks that are, that are just not too fun to be around because, uh, as, as Pastor Dick alluded to, they're just selfish people. I mean, you know, selfish folks are not fun to hang around with selfish people. Uh, and guess what? You don't get to choose your family. All of a sudden, one day you just show up. And here's all these people around that you're supposed to love. But I want to drive this point home because it's important. Our families are the first laboratories of neighbor love. That's where we learn how to love our neighbor. You have to love the people in your household. Now, I've had this discussion with my kids before. Maybe you've had discussions that are similar. I'll say things like, listen to the way you're talking to your sibling right now. This is your flesh and blood. I would not talk to the neighbor across the street the way you're talking to your sibling. If any of you, just help me out a little bit. If any of you ever had that discussion. All right. This is your flesh and blood. You're going to spend forever on earth with this person. You can't talk to them that way. In other words, you can't love your neighbor when you hate your sister. When you hate the person sitting across the table from you. Does this make sense? I mean, the Bible's so practical. So I was praying with some of you last week because you know what? You got family issues that frustrate the daylights out of you. And pastor just preached on loving your neighbor and, and your family irritates you. Praise the Lord. I'm here. You leave here all irritated. I get it. But guess who's the first person you're supposed to go demonstrate the love of Jesus to? The family member that you can't stand in the natural, if you're honest, and you get out of your religious stuff. Oh, no, I just love all my family. No, you don't. No, you don't. There, there are certain people that provoke you. There are certain people that you need to go out of your way to love in Jesus' name. And then you get in the car right on the way as you're driving away. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. No, we just failed the exam. We got to love those people. And let me tell you another group of people you don't get to pick as your neighbor. Your church family. <laughs> this is so good. Now, some of you are members here at Living Stones Church. You said, this is my family. This is where we're going to come. This is where God called us. You even attended a class. And you signed the dotted line. You said, we're family. And you're going to live happily ever after. And then guess what? Somebody else shows up at the church. 
And they didn't ask you if they could join. In fact, I've had this happen before. Pastor, somebody from the old neighborhood, the old lifestyle, the old church, they're coming here to our church. And I don't like them. Love your neighbor. How many of you know this is about as real as it gets? If we can't get our act together here, how are we supposed to have any street cred with anybody out there? Now, I'm going to mess you up with some more scripture verses. And I like quoting from Jesus because they don't leave room for, you know, multiple interpretation. It's just pretty straightforward. This is Jesus, John 13, 35, our leader speaking here, commander-in-chief. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. What is the best proof that I can love you? This is my little neighborhood right here, all right? I can love you. You could love me. And when we fail each other, and let me just say this, anybody that thinks any church anywhere on planet Earth does not have relational challenges is living in a bubble. We are broken, fallen, selfish people in the process of being redeemed and transformed by Jesus. And uh, some of us are farther along the process than others. But how many of you know, I'm, I'm prophesying here, if you ever go to church, you're going to be hurt. If you ever go to church, you're going to be disappointed. If you ever go to church, let me help you out, you're going to run into a selfish jerk. Thank God they're coming to church, there's hope for them. They could be not coming to church and be more and more entrenched and lost. But thank God they're coming to church, hearing the word of God. And how about this, being around other people who are being transformed at the same time. Have you ever thought the person sitting on the row next to you in your little neighborhood, that's a nice little neighborhood we got going on right here, that your assignment every Sunday is to make sure you love that person, that your heart's clean towards that person, that you could worship Jesus with a, with a pure conscience and, lo- and love everybody that you know in this church. And if it's not that case, that you would make sure that very quickly you would take care of that. Am I speaking to the right people, all right? Look, look, look at this next verse. This is my commandment, Jesus said, John fifteen twelve. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. <laughs> How many of you choked on that one? How did he love us? He was crucified and nailed on a cross. That's how much he loved us. So here's the other thing we're saying. Well, Lord, I have to love Jim D. Are you serious? God, I got to love Jim D. What's the limitations of my love for Jim D? Jesus says, oh, just love Jim the way I loved you. That's not fair, Lord. (laughs) That's not really fair. Uh, But guess what? That's the standard. How many of you know we need Jesus to love people? And that's the message. We need Jesus to love people. So I've been emphasizing in this series that love is a verb. Love is a action word. Love is, uh, it demands movement from us. It beckons our participation, which is why, you know, this thing right here, I hope you're not just blowing it off like, oh, pastor gave out that goofy little thing and you just left it on your row or threw it in the garbage. This little thing could change your life because what this does is it beckons us to movement. It calls us to action. It's a simple assignment. And if you'll do it, watch how God begins to move in your life. He wants us to participate in the gospel with him. How many of you know Jesus said, not believe in me? He said, follow me. Certainly believing is part of it, but he said, follow me. In other words, there's movement taking place. I like this verse, 1 John three eighteen. Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. 
The way that we love, my, my, my lovely wife raising eight kids has said this many, many times in our family. Hey, kids, don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me by the way that you serve and help around the house. Come on, I need some amens from some moms in the house. You're not looking for a love note stuck to the you know, bathroom window. It's like, help me! Um, that's the way you demonstrate love. It's not by what you say, it's by what you do. Now, I want to show you something. Um, it, it's, some of you, I was, I was talking to some of you on the way in about this video that I want to show right now. This might be a prophetic picture of the week you just had. All right, You watch it, you tell me. Uh, and don't feel like you have to sit here in a religious type format. I want you to cheer for the underdog in the video, okay? As much as you can, cheer for the underdog. But I want you to listen in this video because there is a nugget in here that the Holy Spirit, as I was watching this, just exploded in my heart. Uh, it, it is a principle of spiritual warfare. And I want you, as you're watching this short little video, to listen carefully and tell me if you can't pick it up. All right, let's watch the video together. Oh, yeah. A snake's eyes aren't very good, but they can detect movement. So if the hatchling keeps its nerve, it may just avoid detection. miraculous escape. <laughs> Two things came to my mind when I first saw that. Number one was I, per- I perfectly identified with the little iguana. How many of you have ever had a week like that, all right? Um, that is, if that's not a picture of life on, th- on this planet apart from Jesus, I don't know what it what is, all right? I love it when the little iguana breaks free and runs and everybody's like, yeah, go, baby, go. But here's the other thing that I want you guys to think about is what was the principle that was enunciated? There wasn't a lot of narration, but did you catch it? This is what the narrator said, and to me this is a picture of spiritual warfare. 
He said, a snake's eyes aren't very good, but they can detect movement. Think about Satan. I mean, you know, Satan never had a creative idea or creative thought in his life. Satan's not a visionary. Satan's eyes are really bad. Satan does not know your future. Satan's not omniscient. Satan's not all-knowing. Satan doesn't cast, you know, vision about this is what I see for your life. That's not what he does. He, he, all he can do is twist and pervert what God has already created. So here's the deal, and I want you to see this. We can sit around all we want talking about the love of Jesus till we're blue in the face. We can read books about the love of Jesus. We could believe intellectually in the love of Jesus. We could, we could be able to recite beautiful poetry about the love of Jesus. But here's the point. Unless there's movement, Satan's not stirred up. As soon as you're moving somewhere, Satan gets stirred up. Now, if you're sitting, if you're sitting in the local church and you're immobile, you're static, you're stationary, you're living in a theoretical realm of moral truths and so forth and so on. Let me just tell you, we don't pose any threat to Satan when we're static. When we're sitting, we're no threat. When we're not moving in the truth that we've received. But let me just tell you, that little iguana was only there for so long and he's, he's batting his eyelids and, uh, and he's thinking, okay, what am I going to do? I can stay here and hope that they miss me. The only problem is there's like a zillion snakes. And when the music changes, did you see the one snake was going off to the right? He missed him. But then the one comes up from behind. And I love it when that little iguana goes, wah, freaks out and takes off running and the sand is flying. And tell me how many of you did not have this, this thought. Where in the world is that beach? I'm making sure we're not vacationing there on our next vacation. How many of you had that thought? I mean, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, where in hell is that beach? All right. Can't you picture yourself laying down and spraying the suntan lotion and like five million heads pop out of the lava rock? Oh, I get chills just thinking about it. But here's what I want you to see. If you are moving in the love of Jesus, you're reaching your neighbor, you're knocking on the door, you're bringing over, you know, banana bread. Hallelujah. Somebody picked up on Pastor Aaron's banana bread thing, brought in banana bread. Come on. Um, when you're moving in the love of God, that's when you stir up hell. And how I many you know you have to stir it up before you can win? There has to, you have to identify the obstacles and challenges before you can win. So I'm, I, the bias this morning is let's move, church. Let's love. Let's go out. Let's be radical. Let's be generous lovers of God. Let's sow seeds of righteousness. Let's love people even when they're mean to us. Let's, let's go after the neighbor that wants nothing to do with us. Let's look for ways to demonstrate in tangible ways the love of Jesus with hands and feet. Can I get an amen on that one? That's, that's what he's called us to do. But I also want to bring something else to point here. To say that love is a verb is a dangerous half-truth. And this shows you the genius of Jesus. Because here's the point. Love can only be a verb after it's a noun first. What do you mean by that, Pastor? I'm talking about noun with a capital N, all right? Listen to what the Bible teaches. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. How many of you know you cannot move in the love of God until you have a relationship with a God of love? In other words, you got to know the noun before you can become a verb. 
And that's what Pastor Dick was talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. We can run around like a bunch of self-righteous Pharisees, a bunch of do-gooders. Some of you know people like that. Some of you know people who are kinder and gentler and nicer outside of the church, outside of Jesus, than some people in the church. And you go, man, that, that guy's just a great guy. He doesn't know God from a hole in the ground, but he's just a great guy. The Bible's not trying to produce great guys. In fact, I'm just telling you, they don't exist. Sometimes we go about doing good deeds uh, on the outside. The Bible talked about even being willing to give your life as a sacrifice. But if you don't have love, love. Man, we hear this word bantered around so much today, do we not? Love, 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 love. What are you talking about? Let's talk about definitions because the Bible says God is love. In fact, the verse before it, it said love is from God. If God is love and love is from God, then loving others is doing whatever it takes, knowing them, loving them, serving them. Hear this, so that those people experience the love of the Father. Everything we do has to be rooted, our motivation has to be rooted out of an encounter, a supernatural divine encounter with the God who is the very definition of what love is. And that's where it all starts. The noun has to precede the verb. The root has to precede the fruit, and the motive has to precede and fuel the movement. I love what John Piper says here about love. He's got a great definition. He says, love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. Love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. How many of you have found out that loving people whether it's your family, whether it's your church family, or whether it's your literal neighbor. Loving people is next to impossible if your heart is not being motivated and fueled by the supernatural love of Jesus Christ. How I many of you know we've got it easy here in America? Most of the Christian world has is, is been called upon to love neighbors who are constantly attacking them and killing them and causing great disruptions in their life. We're seeing that all over the world, are we not? Um, it's tough to love people like that. It's tough to love our enemies. Uh, it's tough to love family members who aren't so lovable. It's tough to love people who have hurt you or offended you. These things are hard. In fact, the Bible is very clear. You cannot do it if your motivation is not rooted in the supernatural love of God, which comes from an encounter with him. We need the love of God, which is why do you notice the genius of Jesus? Jesus just didn't say, here's the great command, go love your neighbor. How did he start that that verse? He said, here's the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then go love your neighbor as yourself. That's the balance that we have to constantly maintain. That's why the command to love our neighbors is is preceded by a command to love God with all of our heart. So here's the first movement that we need to have. And I want to really challenge you with this. Next week, we're going to get into some practical things on serving. We're going to wrap up the series. Um, I hope it's been helpful to you. But here's what I want you to think. If, if the devil is uh, aware of your movement, okay, if that's what triggers him, then how many of you know if you're, if you're a military strategist and you see that if I do this, I get the biggest response from my, from my opposition, then that would be an insight that what you're doing is very strategic and very dangerous. Are you with me? Our first movement has to be the movement of my heart and your heart towards Jesus and his presence. That's got to be our first movement. And I just want to ask you, very practically, you know, we started off this year, 2017, the first series I did was challenging you to be in the word of God every single day. 
because the word of God is a means of grace which reveals the glory of God, takes us to, to, to the promises of God, and leads us to the God that we worship himself. I'm, just, I'm not picking on you. I'm just asking you. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are spending time every day sitting at the feet of Jesus in the word and talking to him before you start your day? Your first movement, if you're going to be effective in anything that you do, your first movement has to be the movement of your heart towards God. And the movement, I mean, you know, God's heart's already moving towards us. He's pursuing us. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, first two words in that verse, pursue love. Isn't that good? Pursue love. When the Bible commands us to pursue love, first of all, he's saying pursue the noun. Pursue the God who is love. Not all these verb activities. Pursue the God of love. Second thing I want to encourage you is this. And I, let me back up even on the heart issue. A lot of the things we hear when people visit Living Stones are part of our worship. You know, I hear this uh, in our new members' classes and things like that. You know what? The, the, the worship, uh, when I came there, was awesome. I couldn't believe the passion. I couldn't believe uh, how authentic, how real, how genuine the worship was. I mean, those are great things to say, amen? And I hope that they would say that about our, our corporate worship. But how many of you can remember back when you were a baby Christian and you were first learning how to have a relationship with God? Any of you remember that? And, you know, people don't walk down the streets just singing a song, la, 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 especially, how many of you guys know that you don't usually see guys at work just walking by, hey, man, la, 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 singing like pop 20, 50, whatever song. We don't do this in culture. Um, You don't walk around singing. And so you come into the church setting, and everybody's singing, or maybe they're raising their hands or singing loud or, or letting out a shout of praise, and you're like, whoa, what is that? Well, let me tell you what that is. It's called heart exercise. It's called moving my heart toward God in worship. And the devil hates it. How many of you have ever, during a song or whatever, the Holy Ghost sneaks up on you, captures your heart, next thing you know, the tears are coming. You're like, what's the matter, dude? I'm a guy. I'm not supposed to be this way. Anybody, and then you're looking around like, see if anybody's watching. You have this emotional breakdown. What's going on? It's not an emotional breakdown. The Holy Spirit's just grabbing your heart. And let me just tell you, the best way to get your heart engaged is just to surrender. You know, let me just give you a hint. Who cares who's around you? I wonder if that neighbor three rows over is going to watch me raise my hands. Let me help you out. They don't care. Are they? Are they looking at me? Let me help you out. No. If they were, who cares? That's their problem, all right? So what do we do? We just, we shut. Here's the other thing I love to do. I like to shut my eyes. Why? Because I don't want to see you. Don't bug me during worship, all right? I'm having my time with God. That's, that's not the time to come tap me on the shoulder. Hey, pastor, leave me alone. I'm having an encounter with God, or at least I'm trying to. There's an appropriate time for this. Now's not the time. Y'all know what I'm talking about. When we sing, when we set our focus on him. I mean, that last song, David, I think you were behind me because you let out a shot, and I about jumped out of my shoes. Um, but I... I was feeling the same thing. And then when you released it, I thought I raptured, all right? I mean, it was incredible. But how many of you know, it's hard. 
Yeah, come on, that's what I'm talking about. That's it right there. Now that's not just some religious exercise. That's what happens when you put the kettle on the stove and it reaches boiling point. Woo! That thing lets out a scream, all right? That means the affections of our heart have gotten to where they're percolating and they have to be released. That's what worship is. You just tell the Lord how much you love them. And let me just let me just tell you something. One of the greatest ways to have more of Jesus is to give him more of you. One of the greatest ways to experience his glory is to tell him how awesome he is. And as you're verbalizing these things, how many of you know sometimes we start off saying the words, but eventually those words just have a way of trickling into our heart and an explosion takes place. So I'm giving, especially not that women don't struggle with this, but I know guys in particular, we have a hard time getting lost in the presence of the Lord and, and releasing our affection to him. Can I give you another hint? It's another reason why we have a hard time being romantic and intimate with our wives. Boy, it got quiet in here. If I know how to be free in the presence of the Lord and to worship him and to express and to sing and to talk to the Lord, this is, this is good practice talking. You don't have to come up with the words. They're on the screen. Isn't that convenient? Don't you wish you had a screen at home, in your kitchen, in your bedroom? I love you like fine wine. No, we don't have a screen there, all right? But you can, you can learn how to do that in church. You learn how to do that by singing to the Lord, and then you can express your love to your wife or your love for your children or your love for the neighbor across the street. How did you learn how to do that? Every Sunday morning, you're becoming tenderized, sensitized. You're verbal. Men, listen to me. You too can be verbal. So it's not a commercial, but you can do it. How do you do it? You sing to the Lord and you have a script. It doesn't get any easier than that. And then you become a verbal person. You become a wordsmith. You become a romantic communicator where you need to be a romantic communicator. Now let me mess with the guys again. I'm, I'm wrapping this up, so bear with me. I'm, ha- I'm having a little fun. None of this was in the notes, which makes it good. Also... I need you guys to pray with Chris, which is also in our bulletin, and our rest of our intercessors. Pray before service. We have two opportunities. That was an announcement I need to make. Because when you pray for your pastor, you get better messages. Pray. Please pray. (laughs) Most Sundays, I feel like that little iguana. I hope something good comes out. All right. Here's the second thing. All right. You move towards God with your heart. Secondly, move towards God with your head. It's amazing how many people after high school, just stopped reading anything. They, they just stopped. And I, I was challenging, again, because I know everybody's not a reader, everybody doesn't like to read, but isn't it amazing the culture that we're living in? If you have like a half an hour drive to work or 45 minute or hour drive to work, I know some guys drive all the way up by O'Hare Airport every day. You know, you can get the most incredible education, you ready for this? Not by reading, please don't do that while you're, Don't do that. But listen, by listening to somebody read the book to you, it's called Kindle. It's called hit a button, download books. It's called pay a little extra and have somebody read you the book while you drive. You could be a genius by the time you get to work. 
But more importantly, listen, I have found this to be true. My mind is where the kindling goes. It's where the wood goes. My heart is the fire. If I'm not throwing wood on the fire, it eventually goes out. You have to be growing in your knowledge of God. There should be a voracious appetite in you to know the Lord, to make sure that you're in the Word. And not just in the Word, but there's great people teaching great things from the Word to help us. There's, no, there's literally no excuse. Invest in your passion for Jesus. And I shared this with some guys. You know, guys don't like just sitting around. You know, ladies, hey, we're going to go out for coffee. That's great. Guys don't want to just... So how was your day? All right, we're not... That's why a lot of guys don't like life group stuff, because if all they're doing is like, how was your week? Good. Okay, let's go home. No, guys that want to go cut a tree down. They want to they work on something. They want to go help somebody. They want to go fix the door. I might talk, they want to go hike. They want to climb a mountain. They want to they do a, a 5K. They want to do an, an Ironman. They want to do a Tough mutter. They want to do something. But here's why. Because part of loving God with your strength means you use the manliness that God has given us to serve the kingdom and to do crazy, awesome, radical things, sometimes that are demanding. Am I making sense to any guy? That's why so many guys are checked out of church. You shouldn't be checked out of church. We just need to be doing things that are dangerous. My son Johnny has had this passion to get on our roof. And I pointed out that the shingles were flipped up. Some of the shingles were flipped up on our roof. And this guy ain't getting on the roof anymore, right? It's a steep roof. My ankles don't even bend at the, at the direction of the roof. I'm like a skier when I'm all the way down to the gutter. It's not good. So Johnny, all day, Dad, I want to climb on the roof. I said, sure. As soon as we get our work done, you can climb on the roof, get him down. I said, we saying, Pastor, you shouldn't let a sixth grade boy climb on the roof. Absolutely I should. He might, he might slip and slide off and fall. Absolutely he might. But that's what causes boys to become men is when they face the dangers of life. They work a power tool. Man, I, isn't it amazing, dads? I, hey, here's a rake. Let's rake the yard. Here is a set of hedge clippers that could cut your finger off. Yeah, I'm... I mean, what's the matter with the rake, for crying out loud? Rakes aren't dangerous. And so what did Johnny do? He got on the roof. Well, it was like a zillion degrees, and he's barehanded. Dad, I need gloves. So I'm throwing gloves up on the roof. And then he's up there like a cat, man, flipping all those things down, and he came down. Here's the point. He conquered something that had a level of danger to it. Guess what we're called to do? We're called to reach unreached peoples. In countries that don't like us, we're called to face obstacles and challenges and hardships. It's part of the gospel. Listen, this is what men want, if I'm not mistaken. You want to give your life to a mission that matters and might, and might demand things of you. You might be tired at the end of the day. Am I talking to the right crowd? This is what it, this is what it means to love God with your strength. It means you give him the best that you have in loving him and serving other people. You give him your strength. This is what it means. Our hearts got to be moving toward the Lord. And with our minds, with our heads, with our whole bodies pursuing the Lord. I'm going to end with this quote, and I want to challenge you with it. 
C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if false, Christianity is not important. Can you all say amen? If Christianity is false, not important. In other words, you're wasting your time here. You should go do something that matters. He says, though, if Christianity is true, it's of infinite importance. Can you all agree with that? If what we believe is true, there's nothing more important in all of your life. But listen to the third conclusion. What it cannot be is moderately important. And herein lies the problem. Either this is all a bunch of baloney, which means we should go do something, anything, or this is really true. The word of God is true. The vision God's given us is true. The command, the great commandment is true. Loving God with everything in us, loving our neighbor, this is true. It should receive our highest level of importance in our lives. But one thing it can never be is moderately important. You cannot fit this in somewhere on your list of priorities. Oh, yeah, and there's the Jesus thing. No, 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 no. He will not allow that to happen. Which is why the command to love God with everything in us means that we give him priority and preeminence. It's it's why the motive has to precede the movement. It's why surrender has to always precede service. And it's why the knowledge of God is always more important and primary than the the knowledge of the name of your neighbor who lives across the street. If we don't know God and we don't know how to walk with him and we're not surrendered to him, we have no impetus to do the things that he's called us to do, no power to do it. We're impotent and we're irrelevant to the culture. Here's my challenge to you. Can we make the great commandment central and can we make sure that the noun comes before the verb? that we know God, we love God, we're pursuing God in the face of all hell breaking loose. We're going to pursue God. And I love that little iguana. In fact, I read the background on that. Those iguanas are hatchlings. That island, which probably most of you will not go to vacation, is the Galapagos Island. How would you like this? This is the way your world begins. You hatch, and then you have to run through the landmine of eight zillion snakes to try to get to the ocean and maybe survive before some other thing eats you in the ocean, all right? So all these little hatchlings, they make their way out, and that's the one time during the year when all those snakes have the best opportunity for a smorgasbord, all right? Now, maybe, you know, we've been born as little hatchlings in a planet that's fallen, and uh, our job is to run the race set before us, and I love the way the Bible says it, when you feel like your life is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to the rock, this higher than I. That little iguana got up there. <laughs> and did you see that snake going after him? At each, He's hanging like this. Those snakes are after him. When he got to the top, of course, then I thought, so what? He still has to get to the ocean. That's just episode one. All right. Let's run to the rock that's higher than all of us. Just as an act of our will this morning, Lord, as an act of love and affection from our heart to yours, Lord, as a as a prayer of uh, consecration and dedication, Lord, that you would come and help us to love you in ever-increasing dimensions. Lord, that you would baptize us in the great love of the Father. Lord, you are the noun with a capital N. You're the source of all the love that's ever experienced. It's genuine and pure and true. So, Lord, be that river of love with inside of us. Lord, just cause our hearts to explode. Cause us to view our neighbors through your eyes. Cause us to view our families, Lord, through your eyes. Lord, cause us to view the church family right here through your eyes, that we might be long-suffering and patient, even in the midst of hurt or pain. 
that we would choose to love and choose to let that ocean swallow up whatever sparks the enemy wants to throw our way. So, Father God, we pray, use us this week. Let all the verbs that come out of that big noun, all the verbs of loving and serving and ministering and doing all the things that we can do, Lord, to touch people, may it be fueled by this giant heart of love and affection for you. Lord, make it easy for us to love people because of the way you've made it so easy for us to love you and for you to love us. We just dedicate ourselves to you, Lord. We continue to pray for much fruit. Use us powerfully this week. May the love of Jesus flow all through neighborhoods throughout this region. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, have an amazing week of ministry. If you need prayer, come on down. If you're a guest here, we'd love to connect with you. Come on up front. We'd love to meet you. All right. Have a great day.